you to join me in uh, Luke 22. You can find that scripture or just listen to the reading this morning. We're going to start in verse 39. This follows the um, Luke's account uh, of the Last Supper of the of Jesus and his disciples gathered for the Passover, and afterwards they go to the Mount of Olives. And Mount of Olives sounds like a sounds like an Italian restaurant or something. It, it, it you know, the uh, it, it we sing about Gethsemane, which is a name for the garden. Luke doesn't mention that, but I don't think the name Mount of Olives connects with us the way it would have with with Luke and with the others who would have heard this and have known that. If you've been on one of these uh, trips to Israel, perhaps. You'll know a little bit about it, but the Mount of Olives is rich with the expectations of the Messiah. But here's the other thing about it. There's a lot of graves on the Mount of Olives. People are buried there. There's a city of the dead, a necropolis on the Mount of Olives. The expectation is that that's going to be ground zero when the resurrection happens. And so it's in a graveyard that all of this has taken place. I think it's important to have that in our minds as we hear the way Luke records this moment. And from it, we're going to see what matters most. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and he went back to the disciples, he found them asleep exhausted from sorrow why are you sleeping he asked them get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation while he was still speaking a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas one of the twelve was leading this crowd and he approached Jesus to kiss him but Jesus asked him Judas are you betraying the son of man with a kiss when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen they said Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me then. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. And then seizing him, they led him away and they took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and she said, this man was with them. But he denied it. Woman, I I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter answered. 
About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with them, for he is also a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wisdom and this truth. And Lord, now be with us. What is it that you want us to gain from this today, Lord? What is it that you want us to hear in your word? Father, be with me as a speaker. Father, I don't want a ready recollection of the things that I've prepared to say. I want to say what you once said here today. I want to say what it is that you consider most important. And Father, I pray that you'll be with all of us, including myself, as the hearers of this word. And Father, I ask that you would give us the ears to hear, healed ears, so that we can hear the truth. And then respond to it as we need to, as you would have us do. Lord, be with us in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as you're reading through this and you're looking for what is crucial, what is it that matters most that we must devote our lives to? There's one of the things that I noticed here, because I, and again, this story gets so familiar that we can we can come up to it and we can say, oh yeah, this is the part where we have to kind of move the story along. Bad things happen. Isn't that so sad about Peter disowning him? Why didn't he know better? Jesus told him so. Uh, doesn't make much sense to us, but you know, that's the way the story plays out. And then we got to get to the cross, but happy ending resurrection. And we're not taking the time to really pay attention to what's happening here. Luke is recording this for a reason. This is, there's, this is here and, it, and it's, it's testified by all the gospel preachers and all the gospel writers. It, this is remembered as something significant. So what is there here that matters most, that's crucial to us? Since I've been working on the bulletin for oh, nearly a year now, one of the things I've learned is you care about your prayer requests. And you take them seriously, and rightly so. When, when one of us has something that we want prayed for and we want to share it, we, we do all that we can to get that prayer request out to other people. Pray for me, pray for my family, pray for others. Why? Because we're anxious, we're concerned. We want others to share in that with us. When, when we see prayer requests, we, we want to pray for them. Our leaders take it very seriously here. Our staff takes it very seriously here. We even want to make sure that we've got the prayer request right. And we want to make sure that it's okay with you. One of the hardest moments is when somebody says, hey, we need to pray for uh, you know, our, our brother or our sister you know, in, in the church. And then we in the office are like, we hear you, but did you ask them if it's okay? I don't know, but you need to pray for them. And there have been moments in, in the 15 years that I've been here where we put somebody in there and said, why'd you put a prayer request for me? in the bulletin. Well, so-and-so your friend said to. I didn't tell him to do that. And, and sort of like uh, Rooster Cogburn in True Grit, we just say, we bow out. You know, we bow out. We're gone. That's enough. 
But we take all that very seriously. How seriously do we take Jesus' request, his prayer request? Did you see right here that he had a prayer request? And it wasn't even for himself. But he said, I want you to pray. I want you to pray so that you don't fall into temptation. One of the things that you see very clearly here, and suddenly you see it back through the whole gospel, is that Jesus prays. He takes prayer very seriously. And maybe Jesus praying has something to do with his oneness with God. And and that, that made me ask a question to myself as I was reading this. Does Jesus have that oneness with God because he's constantly in prayer? Or because he's constantly in prayer, does that maintain the oneness that he already had? In, in other words, is he, is he able to continually pray because he has that, that oneness with God? It's sort of a chicken and egg question, which came first. And I don't think that's a good question at all. Because the, the two are so seamless, that oneness with God is so clear that prayer is a part of it, prayer contributes to it, but prayer also flows out of it. And if you look, there's all these moments where Jesus is praying. Did you notice in chapter 3 that when Jesus is baptized, he prays? Have you ever noticed that? We know that the sky opens up, that God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. We know that Jesus told John, this is necessary, we've got to fulfill righteousness. But did we notice that Jesus prays? It says it right there in 321. He's praying. Did we notice that Jesus would go off alone? I mean, he would leave the people who desperately wanted him to heal him. And he would withdraw. He would go by himself alone to pray. Luke mentions that in chapter 5, verse 16. Before he chose the apostles, before he chose the twelve, he spent the entire night in prayer. We think the selection of a Supreme Court justice is a big idea. Let me tell you, the selection of the twelve who will carry the word of God, that matters. And Jesus spends the whole night in prayer. Not just something where he comes up and says, oh, yeah, yeah, listen, I've noticed you 12. You, you really seem to be working hard. Why don't you, I'm just going to call you apostles. Huh? And if you've ever wondered, well, how does he, how does Judas get in there then if Jesus knows? Because he spent the whole night in prayer about it. It's not a light decision. You know that moment where Jesus says to his disciples, Who do the crowds say that I am? When he asked them that, he had been praying. He had been in prayer. That's in Luke 9, 18. And then that leads him to ask them the question, okay, to who do they say that I am? Jesus knows who he is because of his relationship with the Father. The mountain of transfiguration is this amazing scene where where the... Peter, James, and John see the glory of God. They see the glory of God. Elijah and Moses appear, and the voice from heaven says, this is my son, and listen to him. Now, their purpose 
for going up to that mountain was not so that Jesus could perform some sort of uh, magic act and show them the glory of God. They were going up the mountain for the purpose of prayer. Did you notice that? And even amid betrayal, denial, and fear, Jesus asked to pray. He's praying so often that his disciples finally ask him, teach us to pray, which leads into the passage where where we read what we call the Lord's Prayer. You know, um, from his baptism to his temptation, Jesus is involved in prayer. All the way to the night on the Mount of Olives, when he knows what's happening and how much he's going to suffer, and, and he's, he's not even just folding or shooting up a flare saying to the people, okay, come arrest me, it's time. He's avoiding death. He's not seeking death out. He's in a hidden place, but he will be in prayer. Do we notice that? Jesus is consistent and obedient because he prays often to his Father. Even as it is in this passage, if he expects that the answer is no. Let this cup pass from me is a phrase that means if there's any other way to accomplish your will, let's do that. But he will say, nonetheless, I will be obedient even if your answer is no. Maybe we don't notice Jesus in prayer because for us, Let's be honest, prayer is sort of like salad dressing. It's the extra. It's the side dish. We work it in. We have so many ministries uh, around us that, uh, that, that are involved, in, that it requires us to have meetings. Ministers have meetings on Tuesdays, and we have meetings on Wednesday nights with the elders. Elders meet. Uh, every Wednesday night. They meet every uh, one Tuesday a month. I mean, we have to schedule these things. Some of you are involved in hope chest groups, cure groups, missions groups. Missions committee meets once a month. That's that's great. And I I know that you're praying. But let me ask you this, and I'm not not scolding you. I'm, I'm holding myself accountable here as well. How often is the agenda of our meeting I mean just talking to God and devoting ourselves to prayer. This lesson series is about devoting ourselves to what really matters. And I, I'm going to confess to you that everything that I'm going to call out here, it's stuff that I'm, I'm struggling with myself. And sometimes when I talk to people, I, I go into fix-it mode. How can I help you? Have you seen a doctor? Have you done this? And sometimes people want me to do that. And that's okay. I care. And you care. And you do the same thing. We're all trying to help each other, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we've got some bad ideas about prayer that keep us away from it. We think that prayer is private. Jesus said you're supposed to pray in your closet. You know, you're not supposed to let anybody else know. Well, that's a bit legalistic with what Jesus was saying. He's just making an emphatic point, and everybody took him so seriously they didn't get the joke. Um, prayer, we, we look at it as so being so private or it, it's, a, it's uniquely spiritual. You know, isn't it strange that when we gather together and we worship, 
that, I mean, it's easy to create awkward moments. But because of our customs and, and the way we do things. That if one of you were to get up right now and to go out, and I suddenly said, let's have a prayer. Oh, what do you do? You have to freeze. You know, it's like they're praying. Don't move. And prayer is essentially us talking to God. I think there's some feedback that comes through prayer as well, but uh, we won't get into that. But then reading God's word, well, you know, we can mill around. He's just reading scripture. He's just reading scripture. You know, we can do whatever. And that's God talking to us. There's just some things here that, and, and by the way, I'm not saying any of those customs are right or wrong. I think prayer goes on all the time if we're open to it. But again, I don't, I don't want to make this too easy to just wave away. Because you see Jesus intentionally going for an entire night of prayer. You see him seeking prayer. That, that no matter what's going on around him, that when there's betrayal, when there's denial, when there's fear, when everybody else is losing their head, when everybody else is losing their mind, Jesus stops and prays. Which could be a little frustrating for action-oriented people like us. Why is he sitting there in the garden praying? Why didn't he go do something? At least his disciples had the sense of mind to go grab some swords. Why didn't he run off? Why didn't he just go on down the mountainside? You know, he could have. But part of the prayer is to keep him there, to make him stand there. We're so action-oriented and fixed it that we want to do things all the time. And I think that's why we treat prayer like salad dressing, like it's the extra. We'll have a little prayer at the beginning, have a little prayer at the end, and then everything's good. What would change if we had the, the presence of mind to hear Jesus' prayer request the way we hear our own prayer request? What would be different about our own lives and about our church life if right there at the top, I mean, as important as we take all those prayer requests, and rightly so, we took Jesus' request for prayer, saying to us, like he says to his disciples, pray so that you don't fall into temptation. You don't think that word is for us? Well, then why is it in the Bible? Every word in the Bible is at one point for us. Think about the temptations that you and I can fall into. Not just the sins, but we can be tempted to turn church into something that we have to do. We can turn it into something that it's all up to us. We can turn evangelism into something that requires our effort and we've got to get better. And if we don't get better, we're going to, just, we're going to tell the preacher and then he's going to scream at us and scold us until we get better. And or, or he's going to learn how to motivate us in a certain way that, that our hearts are just going to break. And, you know, it all depends on that motivational preaching. Well, if it does, then I'm telling you, pray. Because that's what Jesus said to do. And he said, you know, he looks out and he says the harvest is great. He's talking about evangelism, the mission. He says the first thing you need to do is pray to the Lord of harvest that he'll send out workers. Well, the first thing we need to do, Jesus, is we need to raise enough funds. We, need to, we can get some uh, you know, uh, techniques and some method. No, pray. That's the first thing you need to do. God's got this. God will, got, God, God will take care of this. But you've got to ask. I, I, I don't, and, and the more I think about it, the more I don't understand why we don't model Jesus in this. That prayer is the, not only the first thing, but it's the driving force. It's the agenda. That 
that we, we turn to God, even when times are tough. I, I remember one time praying with some guys, and they said, well, you know, if we don't find anything else to pray about, we might have to get up and get to work. And I thought, this is work. This is work, what we're doing right now, because prayer is work. And it can be work, because some, some of what holds us up from praying like Jesus is we might say, I don't know what to say. All right, fair, fair. I don't know what to say. There's some good news, though, I've got for you on that. Read Romans 8 sometime. Did you know that heaven has an editorial office? They do. That, that the Holy Spirit intercedes with us, for us, uh, where, where we can't pray right. Francis Chan tells a story about uh, him praying to God that he would shoot uh, a low golf score because uh, he really wanted to impress some people and he was praying for the best golf score ever. He said, thankfully, as I was praying that ridiculous, idiotic prayer to God, God, God's Holy Spirit editing office said, listen, no, he doesn't need a good golf score, Lord. What he needs is humility. He said, I shot the worst game of golf in my life that day. Because God knew how to answer that. See, just start praying. Don't worry about it. The editorial office has got this for you, okay? The Holy Spirit is involved in this. But it's work. We have to do it. I mean, all they had to do was stay awake and pray. And that was his prayer request. You know, if we made prayer our main agenda, our main focus, our driving force, we might be less afraid we look at the giving, we wonder if we've got enough resources. Whenever we don't have enough resources, what do we do? We ask you, we tell you, we need more, we need more to fund this, we need more to fund that. Nothing wrong with that, it's got to happen. We all, all these things that we enjoy, we all pay for them. I, I hate to break this to you, but there's not a magic money tree in the basement of this church, okay, that gives us all the money we need. In fact, this church doesn't even have a basement, so that's how sad it is, folks. Uh, it all comes from our giving. But maybe one of the things we should do is that when we're concerned about that is we pray. Before you give, pray. Ask God, what does he want you to do to show your obedience? How much does he want you to give? You know, if we did that, we might have what we need. We might recognize that we have what we need. Uh, our giving might be more inspired. Our Christian life might be more inspired. We would certainly be less afraid. And I think we would be a trusting people. Because Jesus prays, and this is the second thing, he is not defined by his circumstances around him. His disciples, with those busted up little swords that they've got, are in reaction mode. They're ready to go. We're going to defend the Lord. We'll fight. And as soon as we start fighting, then God will send his heavenly armies. They need their ears healed too because they haven't been listening. Jesus, right there at that moment in the garden on the Mount of Olives, can call out betrayal and he can reject violence at the same time. Do you know how strong that is? I mean, he calls out, Judas thinks that he's going to just, you know, work this out like, hey, I'm just showing up to find my friend Jesus. I'll go up and greet him. I know that sounds kind of odd to us. He's going to greet him with a kiss. That's just a handshake in their world, okay? 
And, uh, you know, and he's just like, hey, Jesus, how you doing? Good to see you. And that's supposed to be the clue so that the, so that the crowd, the high priest and his men can arrest him. Jesus calls it out. He goes, you're going to betray me with a handshake? You're going to betray me with a greeting, with a kiss? Fred Craddock says that this moment, everything is turned upside down. That Jesus' enemies greet him with a kiss, and his friends are picking up swords to fight. It is. Why, what explains that? In, in, in my opinion, what explains that is these people are in crisis. They have reacted to their situation. They are going crazy because there's so much tension there. The anxiety of the high priest and his men to kill Jesus is high. The anxiety of the disciples to protect themselves is high. Everyone's on edge, but not Jesus. Why? Because he trusts in the truth. He prays and he trusts. He can call out betrayal. When they start picking up the swords to fight, he has the strength to just say, that'll be enough of that. And he can reject it. He heals an ear. And you know, what, what a strange thing. It's like, I mean, what, what's going on there exactly? Some people say that he was going for the throat. The guy dodged, got his ear, you know. I mean, Jesus could have skipped a miracle, couldn't he? Ah, he'll be okay, you know. Rub some dirt on it. He'll be all right. He's, you know, he's just an ear. I think Jesus is making a point. I think he's saying all of y'all need some healed ears here. Because the, the truth is Jesus' only weapon, and it's his only defense. Now think about it. When he goes before Pilate, Pilate will say, well, what is truth? If Pilate has to ask that question, then he doesn't know. He won't hear the answer anyway if he has to ask that question. Peter, though, wavers because Peter is not praying. He doesn't trust in the truth. Do you want to know why Peter can reject Jesus? It's because Peter means it. They used to have this idea that Peter was just saving his own skin. Hey, you're one of them. No, 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 I'm not, you know. Uh, you talk like a Galilean, you know, and Peter changes his accent. Oh, uh, no, no, you know, I, I don't even speak your language. That's not what it is. Peter actually sees Jesus doing what he didn't expect Jesus to do. He perceives Jesus as not being the hero and the Messiah that he expected him to be. Because Jesus, Peter had his own expectations of God. Rather than being prayerful, Peter fell into temptation because he did not pray like Jesus asked. And the temptation he fell into was to have God do everything that he wanted. And when we view prayer and the Christian life as a transaction, God will do everything that we're supposed to do and you take care of everything. That'll be a good deal. That is not Christian discipleship. That's not how it works. And don't let anybody tell you any different. Look at Jesus himself. He knows that he's going to have to struggle. He knows that he's going to have to go through suffering. But he stays obedient because he trusts that God will make it right eventually. But not on his terms. He even prays for that. that cup, let that cup pass from me. I mean, we, we like to flower that up and turn it into some Cecil B. DeMille movie. But what, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, God, I'm just asking for a favor. Can we just 
do this my way this one time. Well, maybe not. I guess it's your way. And he makes himself obedient. But Peter is not obedient, and that's why he wavers. And when he says, I don't know that man, he really means it. He doesn't know who that is. That's not the guy that he decided to leave his nets and follow. And so then when Jesus looks at him and he realizes that he has denied him and betrayed him and turned against him, that's the point at which Peter can do like Judas and give in to the shame, or he can change. Now Jesus told Peter that this would happen. And he said, you will be restored and you will encourage your brothers. I want you to look at this verse from 1 Peter. And don't just read it as some proof text, last verse of the sermon today. Oh, this is nice. This is something I can write on my uh, you know, calendar or on a little post-it note. This is a statement from that same man that saw the face of Jesus and wept bitterly. And he says to those who are struggling to follow Jesus, to people who are in slavery, he says to them, you were called to do good because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. What Peter is saying is he's saying, he's not saying that Jesus is, is passive and weak. When they hurled their insults at him, well, he didn't know what to do. And when he suffered uh, and they made their threats, he was kind of frightened. No, he was trusting. We would be a less reactive, more content, more consistent people all around. And there would be such strength if we could simply respond to Jesus' prayer request to trust in his Father. And to do that in prayer. And then all that time we spend worrying. What's going to happen if they do this to the church? What's going to happen if they do that? At this. I just lost audio, but it's okay. The, um, when you imagine this teaching coming from the man who wept so bitterly when he turned against Jesus, this is not some teaching about being passive or weak. And I think that's one of the reasons that we have a problem hearing Jesus' prayer request. Because we look at that as the last resort of desperate people, of people who don't have the means to do something on their own. We, we tend to rely on the old unbiblical phrase, God helps those who help themselves, which isn't in the Bible, and it's not true. This is the confidence in truth. What you see here with Jesus, both in that, in, in what's going to come up in the gospel soon, and what Peter's talking about here, you know, this comes from a changed man. This comes from a man who saw that scene, and now he he can't he can't be um, he can't be startled the way he was that night on the Mount of Olives. He's different. 
Because you know after that, Peter becomes one who, just like Jesus, trusts himself in prayer. This is the confidence in the truth that comes from one who prays. Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask that you would help us to take Jesus' prayer request seriously. However we need to respond, whatever we need to do, I pray that the next time that we're called to prayer, the next time that we see a moment that we know that Jesus is asking us to pray, we won't shrug it off, we won't resist it, we won't doubt. Father, please help us to stop looking at our insufficiencies and stop looking at what we don't know and just trust in you. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this song, you might need some encouragement. Go to your elders and ask them to pray for you. You know, in fact, go to your elders and pray for them. I've never asked you to do that, but that seems appropriate. Just pray and see, as we're singing this song, pray and see what uh, God wants you to do to respond. Let's stand and sing.